Did you know Super Awesome Mix has an app? Go to the Apple App Store today and download Super Awesome Mix. It's free. You could start creating and sending your own digital mixtapes in just a few clicks. Also, there's links to our Instagram account and a link where you can follow your favorite podcast. Speaking of which... Welcome back to the Super Awesome Mix podcast. I am Matt Sidholm alongside with my co-host and co-founder, Samer Abusalbi. Samer, how are we doing? We are doing real well. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. And we are back this week with a very special guest. Okay. Uh, and we run the gamut here. We've had a few guests on the show so far. And this time we're dipping into the world of high school band directors for our next guest. Okay, so Mr. Reagan Brumley, can you uh, introduce yourself and, and tell us a bit, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the for the warm welcome there. And as Matt said, I have been a high school band director for 16 years, and so uh, a pretty exciting and, and kind of uh, uh, mystical world that I hope to bring you into a little bit with through uh, <laughs> through my selections today. Um, and then this year, I actually became a, a public school administrator. I'm in Irving ISD here in the Dallas area, and I'm the fine arts director. So helping teachers and kids with everything from theater to dance to band and orchestra all, to all those things. And so uh, uh, a lover of all of the arts. So, Reagan, is it safe to say you, you play a musical instrument or two yourself? I do. So my original instrument from back when I was a kid is I was a trombone player, still still am. Uh, and then when I went off to college to do my music education degree, you have to show proficiency in all of the band instruments. So that's you know, going to be everything from flute to clarinet to percussion. To, so you know, I'm better at some than others, but, but functional enough to bring them to the, to the minds of our youth. That is awesome. I never graduated uh, past the recorder, I think, in fourth grade. I think that's uh, that peaked for me. That was my musical career. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You could have been on Titanic or something. I mean, you could have contributed to that soundtrack. <laughs> True. It was a, yeah. a, a really important instrument on that soundtrack, yeah. It is vital. <laughs> Um, with that, so we were commenting before the show, we really loved your mix. Um, you've got, um, I was saying that it's like the best of so many genres here, all kind of mashed up. So I'm, I think we're having a really fun time rolling through it. Was there a theme that kind of tied these all together? It, kind of. So the theme, the best I could do was to represent all of the decades of my life. So I know, I know one of the spins we could have taken was to represent I'm going to represent the eighties with this song or the nineties sure. with this song. But as you'll see, when we work through my incredibly convoluted list, what I was really identifying with or listening to a lot at a particular time in my life was not necessarily the music of that particular time. Although sometimes it was, so it's just, this just represents what I was thinking and feeling and experiencing at those particular um, points in my life. And just so we're clear, Reagan, you're not 120 years old. These are so it's not one song from every decade of your life. It's really it could be multiple songs from a particular decade. Correct? That is exactly right. So yes. You'll, okay. As you'll see, some decades are more represented than others, and I'll fair, shed some fair. light on why as we get there. 
<laughs> good, good. Okay. All right. So, hey, we're going to kick it off. I mean, and this is a great song to kick off on. Uh, an iconic song, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Okay, so why does this kick off your mix? So, my parents were also music educators. So, my mom was a high school choir director. So, back in the 80s, when I, I'm 40 now. So, when I was seven years old, eight years old, I would, after my school was done, hang out at the high school choir room until my mom was done teaching for the day and I would be around these high school kids who I kind of idolized as is naturally for you know an elementary kid and at the first song I can remember truly that I identified with this is cool and this is what the cool kids listen to was living on a prayer back when it was brand new and it was the first song that kind of got me into wanting to find other songs on the radio that were kind of like it and that and that got me excited and to this day uh, if it comes on the radio, it's a stop down. I'm staying on it till it's done. I'm singing. I'm 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 jamming out to it. It is. I mean, yeah, that was my. I mean, number one great opening track of pretty much any mix. Like you could, you could just have like two and a half hours of Titanic music following this. You know, to keep going back to that. But you would want to open it. You would want to open it with mix. "Living It on a Prayer." Yeah. yeah. Because you'd be so amped up listening to the rest of it. Um, it is impossible not to turn this up and, and sing along. Um, and, and also, oh, yeah. I, ha- I mean, like, I can't think of a better quintessentially 80s song than this one. I just can't. Like, it just ha- it's like it wraps up the whole decade into a single song. It does. And, it, and the, the bonus to it to me also is that it's John Bon Jovi, like, at the height of his powers vocally. That... That right. It has become kind of cliche 80s, but if you really listen to it, the dude was great. In massive range and incredible volume, just is like really an impressive performance. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so then we go to something that was a huge part of my childhood, too, and I imagine a lot of our listeners. Um, and I was telling you right before we record how happy I was that uh, we got a, a theme song from a movie. So you have the theme from Back to the Future. Um, and I mean, I literally still, I mean, just now I get chills when I, like, I can just start humming and I get chills because yeah. those movies are so good. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So really happy to, to, to listen to that one again. It, why, why did that make the mix in particular? So a, a little bit of a relationship in terms of how I, I identify with this music to what I described with Bon Jovi, with, with Living on a Prayer being the kind of the dawn of my pop and rock musical awareness, Back to the Future was kind of the the beginning of my movie awareness. It came out in 85 when I was five years old. Um, And it's one of the first movies I can remember seeing at the theater with my parents. And I loved it then just because uh, the story in and of itself was so great. But I think part of what made it work that now I know why as a musician was that soundtrack that not only was the theme that I identified here on my list well orchestrated and exciting and and uh, suspenseful, but the composer Alan Silvestri was the guy's name. Utilizes a technique called light motif, and you'll hear this in classical music all the way back to Wagner and Strauss, but also John Williams does it in his in his soundtracks, where it's a particular, usually only two or three measure, four measure theme that is identified with a particular character or building you know, something that is important iconography to the movie. So it Silvestri does it brilliantly where it's clearly, here's Marty's theme, and here is mm-hmm. the clock tower theme, and here's Doc's theme. And so it, I loved it as a kid for, for um, you know, kind of uh, 
just the excitement and everything. I love it now because it's a really brilliantly composed piece of music. That is so interesting. I never, I never thought about that. I love that though. And, and you're right. You do. I was just thinking about all the, all the Lucas films. There's like Ray's theme and, and Luke's theme and like all of that. Um, exactly. That's really cool. I got to ask you on this one in particular, real quick, not to diverge too much. What's yeah. your favorite of the three movies? If you have it's one, the, it's the second one. Right answer. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, and my 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 wife and I like some of the most heated arguments I've ever had with my wife are on this conversation <laughs> because she's convinced I'm wrong. She's wrong. It's the second one. It is the second one. It's is she a fact. fan of the of the first one? No, it's. I'm almost embarrassed because yeah, I love her so much, but it's it's almost a source of having to end the relationship. She likes the third one. Oh wow, which is trash. Well, I mean. <laughs> yeah. I could have accepted a... the first one. It's like, well, hey, come on, yeah. it's a classic. But, you know, the third one's not bad, but to say it's the best one. Oh, I Matt. Think, Matt. It's... I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. All right. Okay. You know what? Let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah, okay. No need to. No need to get, we're not going to get in trouble. That's not the point of this podcast, right? <laughs> okay. It's not the point of this podcast. Okay. So we're going to go. We're going to switch it up again here. All right. So, so we went classic 80s. And yeah. then we went something more orchestral. Now we're going to go to a very classic country song, Amarillo by Morning, George yes, Strait. So the, the rationale for this being on the list, and I should set this up, you know, clearly those first two selections were from, were to represent my childhood, which was squarely in the 80s. The next few things that we're going to talk about are, are from my teen years and most particularly my high school and early college years. So that's mid to late 90s for me. Um, Amarillo by Morning, even though that's an 80s country song, when I was in high school, one of the groups that I kind of hung out with, it happened to be kind of my church youth group, friend group, were all into, into country music and particularly George Strait. I'm from South Texas. I'm from the Brownsville, Texas area. And so he's like a god down there, still is. Um, and... This particular song was my favorite of his stuff. There's so much great stuff in his catalog, but I thought it was some of his best singing. I think it's one of the most beautiful melodies uh, of his songs, and it just when I hear it, it takes me back to those high school years and to some of my most fond memories of that era immediately. No, I, I agree. I love this song. I love George Strait. That was my first concert, actually, at the Houston Rodeo. I saw oh, wow. George Strait perform, yeah. Those yeah, were huge so. shows at the at the rodeo, and then actually, we—I don't know if you guys remember this—from I'm going to say '93 to probably around 2000, he would do a big show at the Alamo Dome every Labor yes. Day. Also, yeah, no, when I went, I went to Trinity University down in San Antonio, and every year we'd go to the Alamo Dome yeah. and see that show. I mean, and the opening acts for him would be like Kenny Chesney, Tim McGraw. I mean, it would oh, just huge. be all day country fest and it would end with George Strait at the end of the night yeah yeah that was a big pilgrimage for my for my family we would go every year and, and yeah like I would I would get just so corny but it's just true it's the power of music I would get chills when he would get to Amarillo by morning because it was my favorite song and it's like you're seeing this legend perform you know one of his probably top three or four hits it was very cool that's great that's great that's awesome um so we we leave country like in a big way now with track four. <laughs> we do, we do. <laughs> um, with a, with a great song. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'll let. So the impression that I get by the mighty mighty boss tones, which is a ska song. Oh my gosh. Yep. This re- this also took me back because I went through a ska phase, like I think most people in the '90s did. Um, right. 
So yeah, tell us tell us about this track. So, like we talked about at the introduction, I'm a I'm a wind playing instrumentalist by trade, right? And so, though I don't, I only have a couple songs that represent this on this particular list. I do love horn driven rock bands. Like I love Chicago, I love Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but in my growing up years, when when the ska fad really hit big, which would have been my junior and senior year in high school, so like '96 through '98, it was kind of in its in its prime um i really identified with it because it's like okay here's music that everybody knows but that i would be able to play in the band and contribute Mm -hmm. and the as you guys probably remember from that probably the most commercially successful song and maybe band of that ska period was the boston's and was the impression that i get and Mm -hmm. it seems like easy pickings because it was the most well-known except i just really loved the song uh and even still, you know, it's it's probably the one kind of surviving, you'll still hear it on a major radio station song from that ska period, uh, or one of very few, and that's right. usually a sign that it's a really well-written, great song, well-performed song. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I, I really like, this got me into the Boston's. This was the first kind yeah. of thing I'd heard from them. And then you start exploring the rest of their catalog, and, and it's great. I'm with you. Like, a good horn section makes a huge... And I didn't even play the instruments growing up, but I, but I just love that in music. And, uh, yeah, this is a great song, and you're right. This is the only one that kind of gets replayed from that era in the 90s. Yeah. Well, a Dickie Barrett, that if y'all don't know the band, anybody listening was the lead singer of the Boston's, and it's just this gravelly, real lived-in voice, but it, and it just kind of worked. And he's the he's the band leader for uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you know, people out there who don't know the Boston's, you probably have seen him on Jimmy Kimmel. So that's right. Um, okay, so let's. We're still in the late '90s, so not a too hard to turn here, but we're gonna switch it up here to a song I remember from college, uh, "One Week" by Bare Naked Ladies. Yeah, and, and that's why, Matt, I've got this on here, is when I when I think about like my freshman and sophomore year in college, this is the first song that comes to mind. It was huge, you know, partially because Bare Naked Ladies was already a pretty established band, although yeah. one week took them, took them to the next level in terms of popularity. But the fact that it was on the American Pie soundtrack mm-hmm. in 1999, right, yes. I think kind of supercharged that song and its popularity and so if you at that era if you went to a party or you went you know even just to a restaurant or a club or something you were gonna hear this song or you were even gonna hear it at a stadium if you went to a game between innings or between quarters it was just ubiquitous uh and it's just i identified with it not the lyrics because obviously the lyrics are just a guy talking about a fight and then the period to make up with his with his girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> right. But just the but the sound was just quintessential late nineties and it's just a throwdown kind of get you fired up song. It it is really good. Um and it's also if I would put this on my list of like songs that define the nineties really well too, especially the late nineties yeah. period, right? Yeah. Like not only, especially the, not only with the sound, but also with the lyrics, because he just references so many things that like, you know, it's like watching X-Files with, with no lights on. It's with like, lights on, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just so great. It's, it's such a wonderful throwback song um, all packaged together. And, and yeah, it still holds up today. Still really fun to listen to. Also, one of my first experiences basically trying to learn like almost rapping lyrics, you know, like whenever he gets really fast there. 
um, I would just like study them so that then I could sing along when I would come along and try to impress my friends. It did not work. It didn't work. <laughs> you know, one of the really difficult song. To learn. It, it's yeah. it's really hard not to bog down on this song. But one little footnote that I also liked about it when I started digging into them back at that time was like. You look them up, and they just look like normal dudes. It's just these like yeah, yeah. middle aged Canadian guys, and it's like okay, right. awesome. This doesn't look like a model from something. This is great. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right, so track six, we do take a turn in time now to just an all time favorite of mine, "Dream On" by Aerosmith. So okay, as I gave the disclaimer. The periods of my life and what I was really digging is not in the chronological order of time that the songs were released in any way. So, okay, now we sure. backtracked. But I have this as a song that was a big deal to me in my 20s, so during the 2000s, during the first decade of the 2000s. And there's something I should mention here. I've got all these decades lined out of my life. My 20s, I could only come up with one song for my 20s because it's like all I was doing was working. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it was actually kind of a sad state of affairs as I reviewed that period <laughs> of my life. Um, but it, and this is dorky, and I just have to, I have to accept it for what it is. In 2008, the band staff, high school band staff, I was working on, we were putting together a marching band show, and the theme of the show was dreams. Okay, mm-hmm. and one of the songs in the show, because it was again kind of low hanging fruit, was "Dream On." And so we were listening to this song just on a loop, trying to figure out how we wanted it arranged, and there was something creative we could do to it. And though clearly I knew the song before then, I really fell in love with it, just I think because I lived with it there for a few months. Um, and just it just has stayed with me. I think, it, I think it's Aerosmith's best song. Again, mm-hmm. kind of like I mentioned earlier with Bon Jovi, I think it's Steven Tyler at his best vocally. It's just, it's a great tune. Oh my god, the the like the screams thinking going oh, yeah. on, you know, at the end, like that is really hard. <laughs> it's like it's thing- really hard, and I mean, he's like right in the center of the pitch, nailing it in tune mm-hmm. at the yeah. highest part of his falsetto. It's pretty impressive. Well, and I think vocally, even the the early part of the song sounds nothing like later Aerosmith. Like he's almost better vocally, like you said, just just on the I don't know melodic parts uh, beyond just the screaming at the end of it. Well, yeah, because if you get into later Aerosmith, now we've got to deal with Baby Blue or whatever it is, and it's <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we we really veered off course, in my opinion, for for a while there. Agreed, <laughs> I guess that's agreed. what it's called. I don't know. Whatever it is, yeah, no, yeah I know what you're talking thing. about. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're gonna stay in the rock genre, and you know, you talked earlier about Living on a Prayer being that first song that you knew the cool kids were listening to, the cool older kids. I'm yep. a little bit older than you, so I think this one was kind of the one for me, and that's Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. So, yeah, so talk yeah. about that one. So Welcome to the Jungle is the beginning of three songs on my list that represent my 30s. And so the context here, this is going to seem like a non-sequitur, I promise it'll make sense, <laughs> is I became a parent when I was 31, is when we had our first child. And... Um, so it was this learning to balance going really hard in my career at that point with how do I do that and be a good husband and be a good father. And it was and so it was the dawn of this period in my life where it was like learning to be highly disciplined, highly scheduled and buttoned down so that everything could get its due. 
And so what I remember, one of my releases I remember from that early period of trying to figure that out was to get done at teaching all day and get in the car and just crank Welcome to the Jungle because it was just like <laughs> let loose. There's nothing disciplined about it. There's nothing responsible. So I could have three minutes of just being the dude I was 10 years before that. <laughs> and, so, and so that's why it's there. That's great. That's great. Wow. That, I mean, it's a great song for that. <laughs> That's really awesome. It is absolutely, and it's a regret. My my wife actually has seen them in a, in concert. They were in Dallas probably four years ago now, and I was working and couldn't go. And she went and said, even then, they were still still pretty rocking in person. So it's cool. That's great. All right, so track eight, um, a little calmer. Great song though. <laughs> you got <laughs> you got "Sweet Caroline" by Neil Diamond. You're implying that Guns N' Roses and Neil Diamond are not <laughs> that similar. You're right. My bad. <laughs> so, as I've said, everything pertains to uh, things that have happened in my life that are of varying significances. So, the, the setup here is I grew up just a rabid, rabid baseball fan. And when I got into college and then for sure into my 20s, into my career, it kind of went dormant because, again, it was just like all I was doing was working. Well... On my 33rd birthday, my birthday present for my wife were Red Sox tickets in Boston because it was like a bucket list thing to go to Fenway. And it was Sox, Yankees, and it happened to be Mariano Rivera's last game at Fenway. So it was wow. like this amazing present. So we go, and it for any of you listening that have been to, to Fenway to a game, it's just this incredible experience, pretty amazing experience. And, and the Sox were great that year, so... It got me re-hooked on baseball that I still am to this day. But part of it was, you know, at the game when that whole crowd at every home Boston game sings Sweet Caroline and they're so uninhibited and they just let loose. It was part of what contributed to that in-game experience. Mm-hmm. And so I, the connotation is to that with this song. And so when I hear it, that's what I think about it. It's this incredible memory. That's awesome. It is such a singable chorus you know like <laughs> oh yeah everyone it's hard not to you know belt out sweet caroline um top of your lungs yeah yeah it's almost impossible and in that environment too if you've never been to a game of Fen- at fenway and and just see, even if not if you even if you're not a baseball fan just to be in the crowd when this song starts playing and everybody's singing oh. along and go like you just said i mean it's awesome so yeah, definitely True. highly recommend that to anybody out there. E- even if yes. you don't love baseball, get out to Fenway and see a game. No, just, just go do it. Moment. Yeah. Just go do it. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Okay. Um, so we're going to say somewhat in the same era. Uh, it's a, f- a few years later. It's a 1976 song. Stevie Wonder. This is one of my favorite Stevie Wonder songs, Sir Duke. Yeah, and, and this ended up on this list from my 30s simply because one of my one of my best friends who I became friends with because we worked together, we taught together for 12 years, um, this was one of his favorite songs. And so a lot of times if we were going to lunch or whatever, it would be playing in his car. And kind of like the, the tune that I mentioned earlier, in addition to Stevie and his greatness, both vocal and at the keyboard, there's just a killer horn band that's part of it. And it's unlike um, a Chicago song or, or some of the other horn bands we've talked about. It's hard. Like, it, they are tough, super involved, super key parts to the song. 
And if you go back and listen to the track, the guys, whoever they are on that, are just playing their butts off. And so I identified it from it both that I think it's a great listable song, but it's also just as a musician, I appreciated the work going on there. Have you gotten high school bands to play the song? Yeah, actually, our when I was teaching at Highland Park, our jazz band played it. And that was a cool thing because those kids, you know, this is probably two years ago, had never even heard of it. They were vaguely aware of Stevie Wonder. And then they get into it and they loved it. And some of them started listening to his stuff. And so kind of a cool thing. That is really cool. I I recently watched um, all of this documentary, Sonic Highways, that Dave Grohl had done years ago. Um, and I, I mean, it was so eye-opening because so much of rock was inspired by like jazz basically and oh, blues and yeah. country and it's like you just never you i mean listening to it you know i'm getting into music now much more but you never connect the dots that way when you hear it because obviously it sounds so different but then once you start right. to break it down and like you realize that wow like they were just built on on the shoulders of all these other like geniuses musical geniuses in these other genres so it's really cool it is it's a, it's a straight line it truly mm-hmm. is from jazz and rhythm and blues to to rock um yes so track 10 um Turn, Turn, Turn by The Birds. Lovely song. <laughs> Just really enjoy listening to this one. So, okay, not to get, um, I promise not to get too philosophical or, or dark or anything, but the, this <laughs> begins the three songs that uh, represent my, my 40s. I'll be 41 here in two months. And so, so uh, it, I have found myself, as I suspect many have over the last couple of years, in a just kind of assessing the world around us and going like, okay, what's, what's going on and why, why is it, why is it fractious and why does it feel less carefree than some of the memories actually that I associate with some of the other songs we've talked about on this list. And there, we probably all have our theories and we're probably all right about some of them. Um, But I, but this song, I started listening to this song again, really in the last few months because the time it was written in the 60s, if you listen to it, it obviously takes some of the scriptural elements, mm-hmm. biblical scriptural elements, mm-hmm. but then ties it into, you know, kind of the never-ending quest for peace that they peace that they were feeling in the 60s and the longing and that, yes, it's still possible. Um, and I think it I think it translates directly to, to some of what we're going through now. And so I, I not only do I think it's a beautiful song, uh, I think it's it's meaningful for, for the times. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and yeah. and for listeners, and also for Matt, real quick, fun fact: I think this this makes it to my my mom's mix that I keep building every episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Making a note. Yeah, making yeah, a note. Make a note yes. Add it to it. Um, because I I grew up listening to this a lot in the car as well. My my parents had that on as like one of their forever in the in the car uh, songs, and so it is really lovely. I didn't realize that it was um, quoting almost verbatim uh, from scripture in, in yeah. certain parts of it. A little rearranged, but. Um, yeah, it is. It is a really nice song, and you're absolutely right. It's very, still very apt today. Oh, no doubt. And it, it you know, that's a. It's interesting you mentioned associating that with your mom. That's probably a secondary reason I like it. Is my my parents were very much children of the '60s, and so I, I, I think there's some identification with that as well that makes it meaningful to me. So we're down to the last two tracks here. The second to last track, "Don't Stop Me Now" by Queen this one now if this is the end of your mix i mean this is near the end of the mix but got me really fired up i love it's it's awesome so the i'm i feel guilty admitting this but (laughs) i was not into this song until bohemian rhapsody the the movie two Mm -hmm. years ago uh i was certainly aware of it but and i was 
probably would have considered myself a, a peripheral, casual Queen fan before the movie. But we watched the movie as a family. Probably a bad move with my then eight-year-old daughter, but it's done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if you've seen the movie, you know that this is the track they use actually as the end credits mm-hmm. are scrolling, and it's li- it's a it's actual video footage of the real Freddie singing it. And it reminded me like that is just he just goes so hard and he's vocally incredible for my money he's amongst the best rock singers ever in terms of just virtuosity and I think this song shows that off greatly Uh, and so it's now like my it's my hype song like if I've got a big presentation or I've got something I'm going to do that's important I'll listen to it on the way to work and it just gets me gets me going no, there's no doubt. It's a, it's an incredible song, and it just builds up just right from the beginning. It's one of those songs that I'd love to say I could perform in karaoke, but I know I can't, right? Well, no, I mean, man, I think wouldn't was, that I think feel like a great dude, performance? <laughs> there was one dude who could do it, <laughs> and, and he is no longer with us. Yeah. <laughs> I just sat here questioning, is, th- is there a song you can do with karaoke, Matt? I just... Well, you know what? Oh. If we go back to a couple, a couple Neil, go back to the Neil Diamond track, all right? I can do that one. I can do that one pretty well. Nice conservative ranges. That's and, right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. To finish this out, um, I had not heard the song or actually known this artist. Um, and so then I actually started playing some more of her um, her songs after listening to this one. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so you have got High Horse by Casey Musgraves to finish this out. Yeah, so the the huge disclaimer here is I am I know I had a George Strait tune on the list, but in my adult life have not been a country music fan. I, I actually do do not like most of what's being released now, mm-hmm. and and probably unfairly dismiss most of it. And my my daughter, my ten year old, and I this is something I'm really proud of is way into music, and she just finds stuff. So, you know, searches on YouTube for for music and someone told her about Casey Musgraves and she said, Hey dad, listen, listen to this girl. And so I started listening and what's, what I love about Casey Musgraves is she's definitely country, but like she fuses disco in there. She Mm -hmm. fuses standard rock into her stuff. She, she borrows from lots of different things. She writes her own stuff. She's a good enough singer to be able to, to transition. This particular song is like, if a country artist and the Bee Gees had a baby and had them make yeah. a song, it would be High Horse. That's perfect. Uh, That's a perfect and so analogy. I just, I just love her immense range, and then not to be creepy, but it's she's got a real sexy voice. Um, uh, kind of her vibe delivery is is uh, very unique, and so I just I just dig everything she's doing. But this might be my favorite of her songs. Yeah, we talked about a couple episodes ago about how you know i don't love a lot of the new country i'm kind of with you um i do like casey musgraves for a lot of the same reasons you just listed but i told people if they're not into country because samer is not someone who grew up with a lot of country music you know i said go back and listen to a lot of the classic stuff and get into it that way and then maybe try to listen to some of the newer artists because there are a few good artists out there of like new country but i you know i'm kind of with you in my opinion it's kind of few and far between yeah no, for sure, but I, but I also agree, Matt, that if you go back to some of those '80s and '90s, like I think about Garth Brooks and Brooks and Dunn, and some, you mm-hmm. know, some of those guys, I think had some great stuff. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. All right, well, that takes us to the top of that of your mix, 
this was so much fun to listen to, um, and I imagine a lot of our listeners will enjoy it. I'll, I'll be sure, obviously, as always, to link it in the show notes um, so everyone can listen and hopefully discover some new music along the way and an appreciation for many of these. Thank you so much, Reagan, for putting it together. No, th- this was a blast both to talk to you guys and to put the list together, so I, I appreciate the opportunity very much. Reagan, do you want to plug anything? Can, can we find you on social media, or are there any, uh, any fundraising efforts that, that you want to plug here on the show? You know, not a not a, a fundraising effort, but if anybody's interested, if if you do like any version of classical music, uh, there may be some subset of the, of the group here that uh, is into that. I actually conduct an adult chamber group called the Dallas Chamber Wind Ensemble, and you can find us. You can search us on YouTube and find a bunch of our stuff, or you can follow the Dallas Chamber Wind Ensemble Facebook page if you're interested, uh, and would love to have you check that out. Awesome. All right, and you can find us on uh, in the App Store, download the Super Awesome Mix app, or on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Super Awesome Mix. And uh, we'll be back next week with another Super Awesome Mix. And so for Sammer and Reagan Brumbley, we want to thank you guys for joining us, and we will see you next week. Super Awesome Mix is brought to you by DLM. Make shopping easy with DLM, the one-stop shop for all your casual clothing needs. Shop dlmsupplycode.com and enter the promo code AWESOME at checkout to save 15% off your first purchase. That's dlmsupplycode.com.